The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Ships stuck out at sea, warehouses overflowing with goods with no staff to shift them, and consumers struggling to get their hands on iPhones, flat pack furniture, and even cars. This was the crisis in supply chains during the pandemic. But how has this experience shaped the way companies think about how they move goods around the world? What countries can win out as tech giants like Apple seek alternatives to China? And will new supply chains mean extra costs for the consumer? Stay tuned to find out. Welcome back to The Exchange, the podcast where Reuters Breaking Views columnists talk to people of financial interest from around the world. I'm your host, Amy Donlan. This week's guest is Alan Murphy, CEO of Sea Intelligence, Danish company researches and analyzes global supply chains. Needless to say, Murphy, who previously worked at the global shipping giant Maersk, has been busy since the pandemic upended supply chains and made companies rethink where they manufactured goods and how they get them to consumers. And Murphy says this is taking many forms. Some companies, like pharmaceutical giants, are trying to keep manufacturing as close to home as possible to avoid disruption that could cost lives. Elsewhere, Vietnam and Mexico could be winners as supply chains change, but Murphy reckons bigger changes could happen within China. I hope you enjoy the discussion as much as I did. Alan, you're very welcome to The Exchange. Thank you. Very interesting, obviously, to talk to a supply chain guru uh, in the in the current environment. I mean, I, I do recall during the pandemic, there were ships stuck out at sea, warehouses overflowing. You couldn't get an iPhone. Car parts were in short supply. I, I'm, it seems to have really kind of died back in terms of the crisis that people talked about. And I was curious, Alan, if you could tell me what is happening currently with the supply chains now, because... We, we have had, I guess, COVID-19 is, is less of a, a kind of threat in the way that it was before. And I guess we've got China reopening as well. Well, to, to, to really appreciate where we are now, we have to understand where we were and how we ended up there. And, and that can give us some guidestones to not only what is the progression forward, but are we going to be in a situation like this again, potentially down the line? Now, I think the most important thing to take away is uh, the impacts on supply chains, on global supply chains, was not a, a direct effect of COVID, but more an, an, an indirect effect. And I'll try and explain in, in broad terms what, what actually happened. So when the pandemic first hit early 2020, um, the first reaction from uh, importers and consumers were panic. Uh, nobody knew where this was headed, but everybody was pretty certain that we were going to head in towards a, um, a long-term recession or retraction of the economy. And I'll be honest, the predictions for, for container shipping were dire in, in, in early 2020. And I'll be I'll be as honest and admit that in, in April, uh, for April 5th of 2020, I wrote an analysis saying that 2020 could be the worst year for container shipping in its history. Now, I was completely wrong. I'll completely own to that. And most people were, but I should though preface and say that it was based on, on two assumptions being fulfilled and neither were fulfilled. Uh, and the first assumption was that this concerned the economy because we, we didn't know what the impact, we've never seen the impact of a global uh, pandemic on container shipping before. Um, and, and the expectation was that we, that that this would have dire effects on the economy. And there's a very strong link between uh, the economy, GDP spend, consumer spending, and uh, uh, container shipping. And the expectation was that everything would contract. 
And that's also what happened in the beginning. So in, in, in the months of, of March and April and May of 2020, um, container volumes contracted heavily to a degree never seen before. So container shipment existed in a little over 60 years. Every year, except following the financial crisis, um, there's been growth in container shipping. So container shipping in, in, in 2009, following the global financial crisis, contracted about 10%. But every other year, we've seen growth. Um, and Alan, this is obviously, the container shipping is obviously the main route, right? at which yes. companies get their goods around the world, right? So this is, you make I an iPhone in China. I usually joke and say, look around yourself. Everything in the room that you're sitting in right now, but 90% of it, if it's not a perishable good, it came in a container. Um, so, so container shipping is the absolute. So, uh, supply chains are much more than container shipping. But they, uh, whenever we're talking about global supply chains, there's always container shipping as a central part of it, uh, and that's moving goods from one side of the world to the other, and and specifically, mostly moving goods out of China to either North America or Europe. Um, that is the the main two trade lanes uh, for for container shipping. So, when when the when the pandemic first hit in in in, in first and second quarter of 2020 we saw a, a contraction that had been sh it, it it the full year of 2020 wasn't as bad as 2009 but in those uh three months of the second quarter we saw the sharpest contraction of where we saw we saw volumes plummet in some weeks by 50 percent so half of all volumes just dried up in some weeks overall in that quarter we, we lost about 30 40 percent of of container volumes on the main east west trades that's never happened ever in container shipping before um, and, does that, and did that mean then that basically as a result of that, you had ships then in the wrong places? Was Is that sort of fair as in, was that one of the sort of you issues? You had then? shipped and more importantly at the time you had container boxes at the wrong places. So if you're shipping line and suddenly your entire business just disappears, um, the first thing you're concerned with is, is cutting any unnecessary costs. Now, if you're expecting that this is going to be a long protracted contraction in container volumes, you now have a lot of empty containers in depots in Europe and in North America and you're saying, why on earth should I bring them back out to Asia? Because I'm not going to fill them with anything. And it costs money to what we call repatriate empty containers um, to get them back out to Asia to fill them again. Nobody's paying. So uh, on the back haul out of Europe and 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 North America, uh, only about half of the containers are full, and the other half, uh, sorry, the half that are full, actually not paying their own journey. They're they're filled with scrap and scrap paper, waste products, and mostly uh, there are of course some true exports, but the 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 paying cargo is is very very insignificant on the backhaul trades out of Europe and North America. So the shipping lines basically have to pay that cost themselves. Now that cost is usually factored into what we call the headhaul trade out of Asia. But when suddenly they see the uh, the biggest crash that we've ever seen in container shipping in the short term, um, the shipping lines basically said, okay, well, we just abandoned all the containers, the empty containers, which would be very sensible if volumes didn't come back, but they did. And they came back with a vengeance. Now, what then happened was the 
the immediate reaction, as I said, in second quarter of 2020 was that everybody expected that this was, I wouldn't say the end of container shipping, but the worst hit on container shipping ever, and that the, the need for container shipping would drop drastically off a cliff. But the complete opposite happened. What happened was the largest growth, short-term growth in container shipping that it, we had ever seen. And the reason why it happened was how its governments in the West, in North America and Europe, responded um, to... to um, to, to to the pandemic, and that was through lockdowns. Now we focus a lot on on the U.S. because uh, that was the the real driver of what then happened over the next two years. It we saw the same patterns in Europe, but by no means to the extent that we saw in in, in North America, and it was very driven uh, by, by by the very hardly driven by the U.S. Um, and the, the impact that hit in the US then spread to Europe. And so that's the, the, the progression that we saw. And 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 how should I best phrase it? Um, the American consumer spends about 65% of their disposable income on services traditionally. Um, with the lockdowns, that dropped down to a little under 60%. Now that 5% shift might not seem like a lot, but if you consider that they spend about 17% of their uh, disposable income on durable goods, the goods that move in containers, they shifted that 5% from 65 to 60% to uh, to 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 durable goods, which meant that durable goods went from about 17% to about 22, 23%. Now that is a massive 60% growth in durable goods. So even though the lockdowns overall, uh, of course, uh, the, the the lockdowns meant that that the consumption on 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 services dropped, uh, and and if you're left with the mental image of of Americans sitting on his couch saying, okay, um, I can't go to bars, I can't go to restaurants, I can't go to movies, uh, to cinemas, um, uh, I I there's tons of places I can't go out, but I refuse to save any money, which the U.S. consumer seems to do, um, and shifted their uh, their consumption of sitting on the couch and ordering stuff of, of Amazon. That's what happened. Um, and it, it led to the largest boom in container shipping that we've ever seen. Um, now, it would have been bad to handle on its own if there wasn't a lot of other constrictions that then happened to it. The first thing was we didn't have any empty containers now because we left them all out in Europe back in, in April and May, uh, March, April and May we of 2020. We left all the empty containers in Europe and depots in Europe and, and North America. And we couldn't simply shift them fast enough out to Asia to meet this demand. Um, so the first spike in, 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 in freight prices came in, in the third quarter of 2020. And that was what we call equipment driven. So it's driven by the lack of empty containers. Um, but the the boom in demand continued and basically outstripped the available first equipment and, and then vessels. Now, that in itself could have been manageable. So overall, um, the, the boom was 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 short and sharp but then of course it got extended over a period overall we saw growth rates of of globally about 15 percent in 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 demand um in, in some trades we saw uh like the trans-pacific trade we saw month and month where we saw 20 25 percent growth which is very very high in the context of the last decade 
but it's not something we couldn't handle in the past. So, so I, I left the shipping line in 2010, um, and a decade before the financial crisis, um, we had seen growth rates in the Trans-Pacific of 30, 35% sometimes, and we could handle that. Um, now, the big problem was that the inland infrastructure in North America couldn't handle it. Now, there's been a, a, a massive shortage of investment in in, in in inland infrastructure in North America. We're talking about uh, rail yards, depots, uh, distribution centers, handling centers, anything that's about moving the boxes just from the port, from the terminal, and inland to where they're needed, basically. Now, that has seen a, a, a very underwhelming investment over the past decade because there's not been a lot of money over the past decade in, 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 in logistics and especially in container shipping. And it basically meant that the hinterlands, as we call them, the, 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 the distribution beyond the ports got clogged up in the second half of 2020. It's and a Alan, degree I, we've I never seen well? before. And Alan, can I ask, what kind of companies were you seeing sort of impacted by this? What What were the companies that had these had goods that were just sitting in these yards that were unable to move? Everybody. Um, so so if we look at the, the commodities that move in containers, um, uh, certainly um, uh, you've got uh, furniture, flat pack furniture, um, both very cheap furniture, but also expensive furniture. You've got uh, uh, apparel, you've got uh, uh, also industrial goods. Everything moves in, in containers, but but here's what also became the major challenge going forward, which I'll return to is they have a different value. Um, so on average, uh, a 40-foot a, a container, very rough average, the value of the contents of it is about $50,000, um, thirty-five dollars to $50,000, depending on, on what trade lane. So the, the more valuable trade lanes like Trans-Pacific or Asia Europe, um, they, they have, of course, a higher value in them. So what we started seeing was the, the hinterland started clogging up and lot of, large, large part of this was also the inavailability of trucking. Um, so uh, it's a completely different topic, but there's been major challenges to trucking and finding truck drivers in the US. And it just, it basically meant the boxes couldn't move out of the ports. So the ports and terminals started to clog up with full containers and they couldn't receive empty containers again for export either. So the ports started clogging up in North America and, and especially on the West Coast. Now, the West Coast of North America is closer to Asia. It takes about two weeks to get from Asia to, to the West Coast. It takes about five to six weeks to get to the East Coast. So when the boom came back, everybody wanted to go into the West Coast. Now, that unfortunately led to especially the main gateways of, of Los Angeles and Long Beach. They got completely clogged up with, with containers, both uh, full containers, but also empty containers, which the shipping lines didn't really have time to, to, to get on board. They had started producing an unprecedented level of empty containers out in, in, in Asia. And it's no secret that the efficiency of the North American ports is uh, considerably below that of uh, not just Asia, but also Europe. Um, so so a vessel that would normally spend maybe 10 hours in a European port usually spends about three or four days in a North American port. Now, that was before the ports were clogged up. Now they're completely clogged up. And it's, it's a, we're talking about literally like a, a, a physical Lego problem. You, you drink, take a container off the vessel and you've got nowhere to place it. 
in the in the port um and they were trying to use parking lots and and there were suggestions of 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 just moving a couple of million containers and just randomly place them in in a desert in arizona what could be done to because you you do have a restriction of space in in the greater los angeles area um so it led to the vessels simply instead of taking three or four days now took seven days or eight days to to discharge the the, the boxes um they didn't which have time all, to... which is all additional costs and additional time for the companies right that are yes. that are waiting for them yeah yes and moreover it meant that the vessels are now sitting at birth not for three or four days but for seven or eight days which means that the next vessel can't come in which means that the vessel started to clog up outside of ports to the degree we've never seen before it started two three four five at the worst um in in late uh 2021 more than a hundred container vessels were waiting to berth outside of los angeles and long beach for up to two three weeks now that was another snowball because that meant now I'll try and explain in, 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 with a similar example. It takes about six weeks to do a full round trip from Asia to, to, to North America, West Coast. So you spend about a, a week in, uh, in, in Asia picking up uh, con full containers. It takes two weeks to sail across the Trans-Pacific. Then you spend a week roughly uh, discharging those containers two weeks back. So it takes about six weeks when everything works to go round. Now, if suddenly your vessel spends two weeks waiting to get in it now takes eight weeks to go around that might not seem like it would be a massive impact but what then happens is if you're let's say you're the service we call them liner services so the service that you run with your six vessels has 10,000 uh, containers on them that was the normal conditions you would be delivering 10,000 containers every week now, if you need to deliver the same amount of 10,000 containers a week, but now it takes eight weeks to go around, instead of having six vessels of 10,000 TU or containers, as we call them, you now need eight vessels. So to deliver the exact same amount of cargo, you're now using 25% more capacity. So when demand... But, but this, Alan, obviously, is, <laughs> this, is, this is slightly backward looking, right? So... So I guess just to just to, I suppose move it on a little bit. Where where are we now in all of that? So that is obviously, as I said, have some of those issues been resolved as we as we sit here today? Are are companies facing the same delays? Are no, uh, it has started to to clog up now. Unfortunately, when when we lost about twenty five percent of supply and demand grew twenty uh, percent, there simply just wasn't enough. Uh, you you can't make that. When, when demand goes up and supply goes down, it means uh, costs go up. And that is what happened. Freight rates uh, um, at the base level quadrupled, uh, quintupled. Some play, some trades saw 10 times as high freight rates as they saw uh, before the pandemic. Um, now, the solution that some might think, and as was proposed by the White House, was, well, then we just need more vessels, uh, more supply. Unfortunately, it takes three years to build the container vessels. That wasn't really a viable solution. Um, so more supply was not the solution. The only solution was to wait for this to, to solve itself. Um, and that is, in effect, what happened. Um, because freight costs got so high that the, and, and it's 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 tough to say. Some of the importers, especially if you do cheap flat pack furniture, you 
if you're used to paying fifteen hundred dollars um, and you're now paying fifteen thousand um, dollars plus another ten thousand to secure the equipment, um, you're now losing money. And that was what happened. The freight rates went so high because there are some uh, consumer, sorry, some importers that have so much value in the boxes that they were willing to pay. If you have a million dollars in your container, how much are you willing to pay to move it from from Asia? Well. Mm-hmm a lot of money um now what then happened was that those that couldn't afford anymore they that they they were no longer demanding container shipping and and it's 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 devastating it, we're talking about bankruptcy people losing their job losing their livelihoods um but the consequence of that lower demand because of the higher cost meant that it starts to slower to 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 loosen up that also um so to speak uh, to put a blood energy on it, where we are heading into a recession. Demand has come, in down, come down some simply from that also. So things have started to loosen up um, mm-hmm. over 2020. Um, the height of the crisis, from a global perspective, in January 2020, um, sorry, in January 22, um, uh, globally, about 15% of all container shipping capacity was lost because it was stuck in congestion. Um, we're more than halfway to fixing that now. So our prediction is that by March, April this year, we'll be back to somewhat normal levels of capacity loss. Okay. And so... So, Alan, if you're if you're um, a company like Apple, let's say, and you had your goods in China, it was a problem, obviously, for you in on many cases, obviously, because you know China was in lockdown, and th- the companies now are are deciding to to find new supply chains, right? As in yeah. whether it's Vietnam or Mexico. I- I'm just kind of curious, what do you think are the sort of the long term impacts of that situation that we saw in 2020, which is that. The freight rates went through the roof. You couldn't move your stuff. Your stuff was being delayed, as you said, for, you know, six weeks sitting out in a port. You couldn't sell it. I mean, yeah. what what do you think companies um, and maybe even some specific examples are doing now to sort of alleviate that? And we, we kind of hear this idea of like China plus one or China plus two, which is like, you know, China's your supply chain. But you also then look to other countries that you might be able to move goods out of if there was a, potentially another lockdown. Yeah. Well, it should be noted that that the certainly the lockdown of Ningbo port, uh, Shanghai port, and others at at times where you couldn't move cargo, that was an additional headache and disastrous effect on top of the the underlying massive problem. It wasn't the real driver of it, but it added to it, and it did make a lot of importers consider. But I, I should say, I've heard for at least twenty years this is the end of China. We're moving out of China, and it's only grown the other way. So I am somewhat cautious taking that at face value. Um, so Certainly, a lot of importers um, have uh, have met challenges out of China and have looked at sourcing, especially from Vietnam. But we're not talking about we're talking about North Vietnam. We're not talking about North Vietnam is right next to China, so we're not talking about a massive shift in, in sourcing. Um, there are other opportunities uh, in, in in Southeast Asia, especially uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, um, but they're not as connected um, as as China is, and they don't have the facilities. So we're we're still talking about many years of investment. Um, now, what could that there's a pull towards shifting? There might also be a push. Uh, China has very clearly stated that 
they are they want to move up on the value chain. They don't see much value in in, in producing all the low value um, low uh, return goods. So they are trying actually also. So there's also a push from China. Uh, to move up the value chain and focus on the higher value goods. So what would, um, what would be an example of that, Alan? What would be the sort of goods that they would like to be selling? Um, electronics, well, the goods that they are really sell, selling, so to speak, are, are producing, but they want to focus more on electronics, high value goods, apparel, uh, and do less cheap plastic toys, for example, or um, Christmas ornaments or anything like that. Um, uh, and also a lot of the stuff that that is highly polluting as well. They want to get out of China as well. So so there's both a push and a pull effect on it. Um, and we have seen, um, I say, a greater shift toward especially Vietnam. Um, but we're still only talking about a few percentage points um, of 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 the massive dominance of of China. So it, we are likely to see a shift over the. But it's not going to be all next year. It's going to be all the next two three decades. It's my best estimate. And can you and can you see Alan Mexico? Does that is that being talked about in the same way, or is it to a lesser extent? As, as because obviously Vietnam is as you said beside China. It's it 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 the main differentiator, and let's be honest about it, is is labor costs. Um, it it the the main like building a factory in China or building a factory in in Mexico. Uh, the 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 bricks and mortar stuff of it and the 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 equipment is not really that different. It is a it, it is a labor cost, and there are still of course labor costs are considerably cheaper in in Mexico relative to North America. Sorry, to relative to the U.S. But um, you have so much more infrastructure now. I, I would say that. People have been talking about nearshoring for 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 two decades, and it's always just around the corner. But it's still we still haven't seen any real step toward. There's and is some that near, shift, it, smaller that just, steps. And so just to clarify, nearshoring does that mean basically that you try and make more goods? Close to home. Close to home. Yes. Yeah. So, so Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe for Western Europe, and um, and and especially Mexico for 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 the US. Um, the it still is such a huge differential. Um, and like I I I heard the first doomsday of container shipping 20 years ago, saying uh, this is the end of container shipping. Everybody will be nearshoring now, and and we've moved a a hundred miles an hour the other way. So. It might it might happen, but we've just not seen any real progression towards it. Um, and and but but one of the drivers of it is higher labor costs in China, which is is generally speaking a good thing for all of us. Um, it's good for the Chinese uh, because of course higher labor costs means higher wages, um, and, and at the same time it also means that 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 nearshoring does become more competitive. But it still is a long way out. And are there sectors that nearshoring does make more sense for? Because, I mean, I was covering pharmaceuticals at the time of obviously in COVID and the issue of actually just making the vaccines, trying to have, you know, everything you need in the one place. So that, yeah. as you say, you're not you're not trying to get things over borders and relying on on kind of staff, which was obviously a very you know big shortage of. Do you see certain sectors where it does make more sense for their supply chains to be sort of narrower and tighter and, you know, less? less exposed, I guess, to, to Asia. Well, I would say more diversified, um, and, and certainly pharmaceuticals is the, is the classic. I was just about to mention as the classical example of it, because um, if 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 moving to production to a certain location saves you ten cents, but on availability costs you a million dollars, 
you know, it, it's it's it, there's a lot of justification in the margins that 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 suddenly are completely irrelevant when 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 a big impact ha- hits. Now, it should be said that the pandemic, um, people describe it as a black swan. I refer to it as as a purple ostrich because a black swan at least is something that we conceptually understand. We know what a swan is. Okay, now it's black. We've never seen a black one before, but we understand. But but the pandemic. Is, is was an impact that we've never seen the likes of before, um, and it's not one you could have prepared for. There's there's a lot of Monday morning morning quarterbacking saying, well, why weren't we just ready for it? Why didn't we just run everything at 50% plus capacity? Well, you can't do that. You can't you can't uh, run your economy on the assumption that at any point in time the whole world will catch on fire because that's going to be very very costly to do. Um, so so. We, we, it's it's not possible to prepare for you know a meteorite hitting the earth or anything thing like that. It's but and and that was the impact of of the pandemic. Um, but there are a lot of especially high value goods that are looking at saying, but what if what if a a, a, a smaller apocalypse happens? What if a smaller uh, uh, disastrous impact? Can we? be fully reliant on supply chains that are around the world? No. So I, I think we will see a shift in higher value goods. So on a volume basis, I don't think will be significant, but on a value basis, we might see a greater diversification of, of sourcing. Um, and, does, and does that mean that those goods then become more expensive because of that diversification? So your plastic, as you say, the sort of junky ornaments that you might buy will stay cheap, but actually your MacBook, which now is being made in Vietnam, is actually more expensive because of that diversification that that company has had to had to pay for. That was very well caught. I was about to say, but there's of course always the 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 other side of of, of the medallion, and and that is that we can't have this greater diversity. We can't have this greater um, redundancy in supply chains at the same low low cost and 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 low low cost is 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 has been I'd say a large part of the the the. The challenge for container shipping, it's hard to put into understanding just how cheap container shipping has made transportation of goods. Um, I, I won't say who, but a, a certain famous producer of running shoes, um, generally, well, sports, athletic uh, equipment, they're really, really good at, at stuffing uh, uh, runners into uh, into a 40-foot high-cube container. They can fit about 14,000. A normal human being can fit about maybe eight or 9,000 pairs of, of runners. Into. They can fit 14,000 into a fo- high, uh, 40-foot high-cube container. The long Long-term average uh, uh, ocean cost uh, of moving a container from China uh, to the U.S. West Coast is $1,400. So we're talking per $100 uh, sneakers, as they call them in the U.S., uh, $0.10 are spent on moving it from one side of the world to the other. Um, so we've, we've made container shipping so cheap that it, it up until the pandemic, it was never a line item for any company. Uh, it was just somewhere down in logistics costs. You didn't care about container shipping costs, which also meant that it becomes a zero-sum game um, because uh, normal microeconomics teaches us that that when when um, it when 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 if you lower prices, you create more demand. 
but uh, that's big sports athletic ma- manufacturer. If 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 you started your own shipping line and said we can just do it cheaper and better than everybody else, um, we'll now ship your containers around the world for five cents uh, per hundred dollar sneaker. Um, they're not going to produce more sneakers. Um, they like it, it's such an irrelevant cost item, um, which means that basically uh, the 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 demand curve is given. It's it's just a straight line. It's a straight vertical line. You can't impact it. Um, and that means that since it's given, it becomes a zero-sum game. Um, and everybody just is constantly trying to steal cargo and volume from each other, which, again, keeps uh, costs incredibly down, which is fantastic for importers um, because it, it means that long-term um, uh, marginal costs uh, will w- Will always be 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 equal to marginal revenue for the ship lines. So basically, ship lines have traditionally not made any money. Um, but it also means that, uh, especially when the, you have an oversupply situation, um, uh, the 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 cost of container shipping would be incredibly low because there's simply no end to it, so to speak. But it also means that when you end up in an undersupply situation like the one we had over the pandemic, there's there's really no limit to where the price can go. Um, Because you have, as I said, some importers that have a million dollars in in the container in China. And if they don't move that container to the US, its value is going to drop to zero. They're going to spend an awful lot of money re- and, and in that process, raising the prices for everybody. And that's what we it's been purely theoretical that, you know, uh, I've been <laughs> saying for two decades that one day, you know, freight rates could go to ten, fifteen thousand dollars. And people thought it was an idiot at some points uh, because it had never that we'd never even seen indication. But it was purely theoretical. And now they hit thirty, thirty five thousand dollars instead. Um, so. so now, so now that I guess companies have had this purple ostrich, they need to prepare for for the next one, right? So, you'll, I guess what for, I, I suppose maybe I'm taking from what you're saying is that in some cases you'll continue to use the cheap, the cheapest supply chains you possibly can, and for others they want to be prepared for for something happening and they're going to diversify as much as they can. That's what we would hopefully see. Um, so, so the. Again, I think it's it's it would be foolish to try and, and you know prepare for another pandemic because it's been such an unprecedented situation uh, in every aspect of the world. Um, but to to have all your eggs in one basket um, hasn't really been a problem before. But the pandemic really showed how big of a of a risk that that entails. And and certainly I think we will see higher producers, uh, higher value producers and importers. Well, we talk to them. We know all of them are saying we need to diversify at least some part. We need to have at least 20 or 30 percent somewhere completely else where we're not uh, uh, impacted by the same market dynamics as we might out of China. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, Alan, thank you so much for that. Such an interesting chat. And um, yes, I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Anytime. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to our sister podcast, The Views Room, on Acast, Megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest views on these stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.